Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. And Robert? Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. Uh, So this is our Hydra episode. We're coming back to some monster science here. And man, you know, uh, previously we'd done that Osidax worm. And I feel like the the smaller the animals that we look at within the oceans, well, some Hydra are freshwater, actually, but the, the just the creepier and more alien they get. And this is really like... Something out of nightmares if it was blown up to human size. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the, the Hydra is such a phenomenal little creature. And it's one that I feel like a lot of us have some level of familiarity with. Uh, I feel like this is one that pops up in like middle school science textbooks. Yeah. But there's so, there, there's so much more here than I remember being exposed to. And new research just continues to roll out on these little, uh, these little yeah, birds. It, it really, it seems like a, a fertile ground for research, you know, in terms of like trying to figure out, and we're going to talk a lot about this today because the research on the mouths in particular is relatively recent. It's in the last two weeks. Yeah, indeed. We did some content on this for um, How Stuff Works Now. So we're going to dive into the Hydra, talk about its anatomy, talk about what makes their weird mouths work, how their tentacles work, all this stuff. They're very Lovecraftian. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you, our audience, we think that we might have a lot of new listeners out there. We've been hearing from some of you. We see some of the numbers going up a little bit there. And uh, hey, we don't just do a podcast, right? Robert, Joe, and I all uh, write for How Stuff Works. And you can pretty much find everything that we do at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. And in particular, if you want to keep up with what we're doing and what we're working on, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at Blow the Mind. And we do everything there from post, you know, what's going on with the show, what videos we're working on, what we're writing about. But we also kind of curate some weird science stuff that we find along the way. Yeah, and we pop up on Periscope uh, a little bit, Fridays, uh, noon, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Sometimes we have to skip. Sometimes... uh you know, something comes up, but for the most part, we try and uh, make that a weekly. Yeah, that's an ideal time if you want to, you know, chat with us. Uh, it's not really one on one, but <laughs> it's a good, it's a good opportunity to ask us some questions in person, see what our faces look like. A lot of people seem to be very surprised by what we we look like in person. I'd love to see like renderings of what people think we actually look like, <laughs> uh, like 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 criminal profile drawings. Okay, so let's talk about hydras. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with the actual creature, the actual hydras uh, that you encounter in various freshwater and occasionally saltwater environments, then you are probably familiar with the hydra of myth, uh, in particular the uh, Lernaean hy- hydra, so named because it lived in the marshes of uh, Lerna in Argolis. Uh, so this is a you know just a staple of Greek mythology, also known as the Exedra. Yeah, and it's also a staple of D&D manuals. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I've been reading about hydras since I was probably uh, like five or six years old, whether it's in D&D or in comic books or watching old, like, I don't know, I want to say like Clash of the Titans or stuff like that. They must have had a hydra in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a classic monster. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's thematically just such a sound creature because essentially you have this vast dog-like body on this creature. It lives in the swamps there, and uh, it has several snaky heads. Now, how many? That depends on the telling. Sometimes yeah. it's nine, sometimes it's 50, sometimes it's 100, sometimes up to 1,000. Um, and uh, each of these heads has poison breath, but only one of these heads is immortal. Right, yeah, and so that brings us into the whole 
Hercules myth, basically, which is, you know, where this Lernaean Hydra kind of ties into, or at least where the myth changes over time in terms of how many heads there are and sort of what the superpowers of the Hydra are. So in the, in this Hercules myth, Hercules has to perform 12 labors. Uh, the second of his labors is killing a Hydra. Uh, and of course it had many heads, but, uh, in later stories, not the original story, but in later stories, this is the thing that we all know about the Hydra, right? For every time you chop off a head, two more grow to take its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in the story, Hercules, I think, gets like a cousin or somebody like that to help him. Yeah, the, and, he's a chariot driver, I think. Oh, yeah. okay. And they cauterize the wounds on top of the heads before more heads can grow back. Uh with fire, I'm yeah. assuming. Slice the slice ahead, then reach in with a torch yeah. to uh, burn the next step. Classic D and D boss. <laughs> yeah. So so that's really where this whole you know myth of the Hydra came from. And I'm going to have to assume that uh, we had the myth of the Hydra before we had found the animal Hydra in our waters, or at least had an understanding enough of them to name it after this mythical monster. Oh, yeah, but indeed the the two were perfect for each other. It's almost like the myth was there just waiting for the science uh, to to catch up with it, because uh, regeneration is a a huge aspect of both the mythological monster and the real-world creature. Um, They both got uh, lots of tentacles, they both are voracious uh, creatures, they both have huge mouths. And there's the immortality thing. We'll, We'll get to that as far as the real creature goes, but of course with the with the mythological monster, one head is immortal, and after Hercules has finished stabbing and burning, uh, all these other heads has to take the immortal uh, head and bury it underneath a rock. You know, I got to say, like when I was reading some of the research on, like specifically, like looking at how the mouths work on real life hydras, I was a little taken aback by, like, oof, this, some of this is kind of brutal. The things that they do to these animals to figure out, you know, how how they tick, mm-hmm. basically, and uh, and I got to wonder if some some grad student out there has reenacted the Hercules myth, like by cutting off each of this little Hydra's tentacles and then burning it with a matchstick or something like that to see, <laughs> to see if there's some accuracy there. Um, Let's well, hope I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just to, to round out the, the mythology here before we get into the bulk of the episode uh, being the science. So the, the, each of the heads had poison breath. And yep. so after uh, Hercules has has slain this creature, uh, he's able to dip arrows in the poison blood and uh, use them as deadly weapons. So deadly that uh, they even led to his own accidental death at the hands of his wife, uh, Dianara, uh, at least according to Sophocles' uh, tragedy, uh, Trachinian Women. Mm. So, see, that's what happens when you mess with Hydra. Yeah. You may even be able to eventually kill them, but it'll come back around at you at the end. Yeah, and if you create magical uh, monster blood poison weapons, don't leave those things sitting don't, around the yeah, house. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just uh, one one note on where the Hydra comes from in, uh, in Greek myth. The Hydra is the offspring of Typhon, a primordial monster that's kind of uh, in, in the same vein as Tiamat and Leviathan, uh, and also uh, the offspring of Echidna, the mother of all monsters, and also the Starbucks coffee mermaid. Oh, yeah. that's that's a cute yeah. pairing. I didn't realize that that sort of like Tiamat-style uh, creature had uh, or, or origins pre-D&D. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, back uh, to uh, very ancient times, some of the oldest myth cycles. And then, of course, many of you probably in present day are also aware of the terminology Hydra from the Marvel Universe movies because it plays a big part in that, especially, I think, on the uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. 
but Hydra is the fictional organization in the comics and in the movies that's sort of like a, uh, just all purpose terrorist organization with the premise that, you know, you cut one head off, two more grow to take its place, right? So there's like secret Hydra agents everywhere and they're manipulating events to take over society, basically. You know, that reminds me that this is another case where we have this uh, accidental synchronicity between mm-hmm. the two episodes that we're recording this week. Uh, and I'm not sure, I think they will likely publish in the same week as well. Yeah. But here we're talking about the Hydra and the Hydra. Uh, not only is it symbolically uh, potent uh, in dealing with this uh, fictional terrorist organization, but it is often used as a metaphor for problems that are difficult to solve. Exactly. You yeah. Slice one head off, two grow up. So they grow back in its place. And we are also talking about wicked problems this week. Yeah. Uh, which is essentially the same deal. Problems yeah. that are um, almost, if not impossible, to tackle because every time you try and solve the problem, the problem changes. Yeah, it's the hydra of uh, society's ills, I suppose, and like it, it, any attempts at policy to try to fix that hydra or cut off one of its heads got, causes even more problems. Yeah, well, yeah, so there's a preview of what we're also going to be talking about this week. I don't know what order they're going to be released in, but this hydra thing, it, it, it's... It is kind of uncanny to me how, like, we came up with this fictional beast and then we find this tiny little creature. What are they? The, the biggest they get is like 0.6 inches, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty tiny. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it, it fits that metaphor perfectly. Yeah. It's like, it's like, that's a really good, uh, a version of art, you know what I mean? Like art reflecting life. And then like the, uh, the circle of life comes back around and gives us exactly what we've imagined. So let's get into the biology a little bit. So, um, I, we already have a cool picture picked out to go with this episode. So there's a good chance you're, you're already looking at that or you've, or this, uh, just hearing us talk about it so far has caused you to do a, a Google image search. But essentially this little creature looks like uh, a little tube with a little kind of stringy, wiry tentacles coming out of one end. Yeah. And sometimes you see that buds as well, because uh, as we'll discuss, uh, it's one of the, the more remarkable ways that it reproduces is via asexual budding, uh, which I like to think of as, you know, it's it's the gremlins and, and mogwai way of reproduction, where yeah. simply little buds pop out and then they pop off and then those buds become individuals. I think the other uh, pop culture metaphor that works pretty well here, and you, you, you use this in that video about hydras, is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. It, I end up thinking about the thing a lot uh, when we've been researching this in that it, it's basically this shape-shifting kind of alien monster with tentacles. It doesn't have the the properties of uh, the thing in that like it can assume the, the form of your friend, right? And pretend right. to be your friend. But as a just monster in general, it's it's pretty disgusting how it how it does its business. Yeah, it has some wonderful wacky attributes for sure. So all hydra are cnidarians, like jellyfish, like corals, and cnidarians have been around for over 600 million years. So this is yeah. uh this is an effective uh uh, model, an effective branch of life's vast uh, uh, tree here. And here's a brief breakdown on just the general kind of anatomy of hydras in general. We're going to be mainly talking about a subspecies called Hydra vulgaris today, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great name as it's well. It's wonderful. Uh, but <clears throat> so, yeah, like, like Robert said, they're all members of the 
Nidaria phylum, and Nidaria has a C in front of it. The C is silent. <laughs> we had to look that up, actually. Uh, and they share the same stinging tentacle and radial symmetrical body plan. So uh, in the way that humans are sort of bisymmetrically split, they're radial, radially symmetrically split. They also have two sheets of tissue that comprise their body. There's the external ectoderm and the internal endoderm, and these line the gastrovascular cavity inside their bodies. And this will be important when yes. we talk about the mouths. Yeah, this this ties into the recent uh, experiment that we'll be discussing. But they're basically polyps uh, with a slender stalk, and then there's the row of tentacles that surround this mouth at like a disc base. They're they're like a Lovecraft monster. Like I want to say they're like uh what is it the the Yigiths the Yig, yeah. I mean yeah. one of those. Somebody some Lovecraftian Cthulhu uh, fan out there is going to correct me, but it sounds like one of the very specific Lovecraft creatures to me. Uh, but basically, what happens is v- small animals, smaller than the 0.6 inches of the the hydra, blunder into these tentacles. They get stung and paralyzed, and then the tentacles immediately retract and draw these animals into the mouth. Uh, most hydra are pr- are pretty small. They're they can be from between one millimeter and five millimeters, but the ones that we're going to be talking about today, the vulgaris, are around 0.6 inches, 15 millimeters long, uh, and they. Also expel their gastrovascular fluids from their mouth so that they can shrink back down in size, right? So like, there you go. That's another like crazy alien monster thing that they just like puke out all of the fluids inside of their guts and that, simply so that they can kind of shrink down and hide basically. True. Yeah. But then again, I mean, you, anybody who has a pet knows that yeah. expelling your, uh, your, yeah, your that's not like that this. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a daily. One of my dogs just did that yesterday. That's true. Um, there is also uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this particular subspecies, but there's the green hydra, and the green hydra are green in color because they have a symbiotic relationship with an algae called Zooclorella, and these live inside the hydra's endodermal cells, and these algae perform photosynthesis and produce sugars that the hydra subsequently uses, while the hydra eating all these creatures that come by provide these algae with nitrogen in return. And because of the photosynthetic process that's going on, that makes the hydra look green. And subsequently, they can go several weeks without food as long as they get adequate light because they're basically living off of these symbiotes symbiotes that are inside of them. Um, So like we said, some hydra are in freshwater, some are in the ocean. The most common ones live in the clean waters here in North America. Uh, hydra usually attach themselves to vegetation that's underwater or sometimes underwater twigs and rocks. They basically, you know, hang out and wait for things to float by that they can trap and eat. Uh, and the way that they stick is they produce this mucus secretion from their basal disc. Now, this is really interesting. When they're stationary, they can also travel. And the way that they do this is they bend their columns slightly and they attach their tentacles to something else. And then they release the basal disc that's attached and they let it swing over to something else and then glom onto that. (laughs) And uh, scientists call this somersaulting in hydras. That's pretty fascinating as well. 
Uh, can you, God, again, like, just like with the Osodax, can you imagine if these things were human-sized and you just saw it, like, swinging across at you with its uh, entire body opening up to swallow you? Ugh. Yeah, it's such just a, it, it's it's such an alien creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, it's it's more fantastic than most of the things we dream up in, in sort of the human scale of weird yeah. um, off-world life. Uh, even like the way that they eat is gross. Like we'll talk about the mouth in detail in a second, but when they're done eating, hydras expel any of their undigested remains from their mouth. Uh, and they'll, they'll eat, you know, any of the following, uh, small invertebrates that are around their size, something like an annelid worm or rotifer or insect larvae. Uh, and they eat small crustaceans as well, like Daphnia, Chiteris and the Cyclops. Yeah. Now the Cyclops is very interesting. Um, and this is one that, I've touched on in past uh, Monster Science, Monster of the Week content, because it is uh, back to what you said earlier about how at this scale you find so many interesting creatures. Yeah, uh, the Cyclops is is it's pretty much the only uh, monocular uh, organism on the planet. It has one primitive eye, and that's it. Uh, and and you just don't find that anywhere else. Yeah. Like um, everything else goes with the the two eye design, but not not this guy. You know, and and that's interesting too because I I haven't spent time researching the Cyclops, but I have to say it's the same kind of thing, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm imagining uh, we have the, the the myth of the Cyclops, this giant with one eye, uh, you know, uh, basically like was an ogre that killed and ate people, mm-hmm. uh, and then we find this thing underwater and we're like, oh, this has one eye, cool. Yeah. We've already got something like that. And we'll it, name it after that. And it keeps sheep, weirdly enough. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Who would have? Who would have? Underwater it? sheep. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it's interesting. A lot of the stuff that I was reading, there's like sort of like at home experiments that are recommended that you can do with Hydra. Um, if you can, you know, capture them in the in the waters of North America, mm-hmm. then you can bring them home. You can kind of observe how their tentacles work. And um, you can actually like at home use what's called light microscopy to look at hydras the same way that they did in this study that we're about to talk about. Uh, and you basically put a pipette onto a slide with a few drops of water and add a cover slip over the, you know, the hydra that you're looking at. And you use light under a microscope and you can kind of get the same effect. I'm sure they're using much more precise tools in these studies that we're talking about. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I think a lot of people have some experience with a hydra from the past because it's an easy and very interesting creature to acquire and yeah. look at. At, uh, in just a, under a classroom microscope. Yeah. So like yeah. this in the paramecium, these are these are critters that are easy to acquire and and interesting to watch. So tentacles. Yes. The whole time I was uh, researching the hydra yesterday, I, I actually posted this on our our Twitter feed. I had uh, this song from. Have you ever heard of uh, this Lovecraft adaptation? That's like Fiddler on the Roof, but it's called the Shoggoth on the Roof. I've heard of them. I've never <laughs> really. Listen to them. There's just a song called Tentacles, and I had that in my head as we were researching the Hydra. Well, indeed, the Hydra does have tentacles, and uh, it uses these tentacles, as you might expect, for catching prey, also for self-defense if something uh, you know threatens it. And Hydra tentacles contain barbed, poison-containing nidocets, and they use these to stun animals like the water fleas, like cyclops, before eating them alive. Uh, and, uh, again, to protect themselves from attacks by other animals. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. I, I didn't see anything about this, but I wonder, uh, to an animal our size, what a Hydra sting feels like. Um, I didn't see anything about that, but surely there must be some people out there who've been stung by Hydra when they're just, I don't know, like 
walking around through shallow water or something like that. Well, I, I, I would tend to doubt we could even register. It would yeah, maybe such not. a smaller scale. That might be true, yeah. And then it would be difficult to, in just trying to figure out what it would be like. I'm not sure how you equate, like, the human nervous system to exactly. the, 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 this, to a water flea nervous system, but. Yeah. I imagine you could probably say it's it's rather traumatic because it's enough to stun the prey yeah. to where the um, the wound mouth can do its thing. Even even more evidence that we need to grow a giant hydra or at least yeah. a human sized hydra so we can see what it feels like. Right. Uh, this goes back to that guy that we talked about in the Ignobles episode who just stung himself with bees to see <laughs> what, <laughs> what all the various bee stings felt like. Oh, and by the way, it's worth pointing out that all members of the Nidaria family use Nidoset cells to catch their prey. Okay. Uh, so you find these employed, again, uh, coral, jellyfish, yeah. uh, the same sort of stingy powers uh, permeate uh, uh, the entire group. Well, there we go. We know what a jellyfish sting feels like, or at least some of us do. Yeah, so, so I guess that would probably like be a that. good sort of benchmark mm. for what this might be like uh, for the, the, the creature that unfortunately wanders within tentacle range yeah. of this creature. Uh, and these tentacles are referred to as stinging organelles. Uh, and they basically are hollow threads that are inside the tentacles that shoot out. There's basically like a pressure release inside the tentacle itself. When they sense the prey, they, sh- they shoot out this thread. And the thread contains a capsule of the neurotoxin that actually does the stinging. Uh, and they actually harpoon their prey with this, too. So... I, the way that that's described, it makes me imagine that there's some kind of barb or something like that involved that helps them to drag the prey in as well when they retract it towards their mouth. Yes, indeed. A lot of the literature mentions uh, like a barbed mechanic there. Yeah. So, yeah, I believe they are almost, yeah, they, they are very much harpooning them. Now, here's another interesting thing about the Hydra is that um, scientists have long observed that they react to light. But but how? Mm. Because you look at the, the Hydra's basic anatomy. We haven't mentioned eyes thus far. Uh, right. There, there are, are no, no cyclops. Eyes. Yeah. There are no cyclops. They do not have uh, a side organ. Huh. But but they're responding to, to light. Light plays into their uh, their feeding habits. So what's going on? Sounds like the the slime that I did a recent episode of How Stuff Works Now on, where they basically figured out that down to the cellular level that certain slimes are able to detect and see uh, th- with photosensitivity. Yeah, I mean, it's a basic aspect of life on this earth, uh, mm-hmm. the cycles of night and day. So you see, in, in even in very primitive organisms, even in organisms very different uh, from ourselves, uh, there's often some mechanism at work. And uh, in 2012, um, researchers from the University of California looked at the hydra, and they found that it's all about the tentacles. Uh, once again, so the tentacles are linked via a simple uh, via a simple nervous system to primitive light responsive cells that coordinate the hydra's feeding behavior. And these light responsive cells contain several proteins necessary for phototransduction, namely the light sensitive pro- protein opsin, which regulates the firing of har- of those harpoon like nidocets that we've been talking about, yeah. which they use to sting as well as to grasp. And then there are also these sticky Isorza, which are used for anchoring and somersaulting. Jeez. So, um, so yeah, the, the, the ability to perceive light is all tied up in those, uh, those fancy tentacles of they're, the Hydra. They're sort of, now that we're talking about like how they see and everything, I think it, like maybe a more accurate D&D analogy would be a beholder because they see through their tentacles. Yeah, yeah. I would, I think so. Interesting. That's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, for a while I've wanted to, 
do some Monster of the Week, Monster Science content about the Beholder because yeah. I love the Beholder. Yeah. But every time I, I start looking into it, I I think, yeah, there's not. This is such a fantastic creature. Yeah. What can I possibly grab onto here? Be Maybe careful. the Hydra. I think. I may be wrong on this, and somebody out there correct me if I am, but I think that uh, whoever owns the rights to D&D also owns the rights to the Beholder because it's only used within that context, Yes, right? they're, they're a handful of D&D monsters that they're you know very much their intellectual property. Yeah. That being said, I can certainly yeah, comment for educational yeah, purposes. for educational purposes. Why not? Yeah, and we have other... And I bet Hydra can cast different spells through each of their tentacles, too. Yeah, and then of course there there are Hydra knockoffs out there. Yeah, that's that, not Hydra well. Beholder knockoffs. Yeah, there are there are Beholder knockoffs aplenty yeah. uh, out there in the world. Uh, so you know, it, I'm sure there are ways to to get around that. Now we threw the word asexual budding at you before we went into our our sponsor there for a second. Now, what does that mean exactly? It probably sounds. Uh, creepy, and that's because it is, right? It's basically a ma- well. It's it's different from what we do. You well, know? I'd like to imagine. I, I when I whenever we look at these various systems, right? I mm-hmm. like to imagine them occurring in the human body. So basically, imagine that um, uh, me, Christian, the way that I reproduced is that uh, a little tiny version of me started to grow on my arm. And then it very slowly got bigger and bigger. And it's like a little like fetus version of me. Yeah. But it's like a bulbous thing just hanging out like a bud on my arm. And eventually it gets big enough that it just kind of pops off (laughs) and goes off on its way. But it's genetically identical to me. Okay. But see, the thing is... You, I can imagine you being freaked out by watching this occur with a mogwai or a gremlin. Right, yeah. But then I can also imagine the mogwai or the gremlin being completely grossed out if you try to explain human sex. Oh, them. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm completely grossed out when I try to explain <laughs> human sex, so I can understand, yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's get into the, let's get into the real nitty gritty about budding. All right, so you have various flatworms, sponges, and corals that reproduce this way. Uh, but the, the hydra is probably our, our, our best example. So, uh, essentially what happens is if food and water are plentiful, so there are plenty of resources around, this is a great time to reproduce, uh, then the hydra grows a series of small bumps or buds on its body. These bumps develop into miniature hydras, and they eventually pinch off from the parent organism to fend for themselves. And a healthy hydra, you know, tends to produce new offspring every three to four days, again, if the, the resources are right. And, uh, this is actually something, uh, if, if, if you're interested in the whole gremlins analogy, I did a, an article for HowStuffWorks.com, how Mogollon gremlins work. Oh, yeah? And, I didn't know that. You know, it's a very non-scientific creature, you might think. Sure. So I went to great pains to try and explain <laughs> the science behind them, yeah. and the Hydra was extremely helpful. Yeah. Because, I, I'm not going to get into it, but essentially, think of this resource uh, situation. If there are enough resources, then asexual budding can take place. Mm-hmm. And then you think to the gremlin and the mogwai, what causes the gremlin and the mogwai to bud and produce uh, water? Young. Yeah, an abundance of water. Exactly. So maybe yeah. it's a desert yeah. organism. I don't think hydra would be able to reproduce if you took them out of the water. No. They'd be dead. Yeah, they, and, <laughs> and more to the point, yeah, the, the, this, their living conditions would not be suitable. Exactly. For offspring. So it's usually in the summer months, actually, that they're reproducing for the, for this very reason. Uh, and the, like Robert said, you know, the, the buds grow on that parent column. They break free. They're genetically identical. So they're, you know, basically clones, I guess we could say, of one another. Uh, they reproduce pretty rapidly as long as they have that abundant supply of food. Now, here's the crazy part. 
Hydra can also produce sexually, mm-hmm. uh, but this is way less common. And basically, I, I you know, I don't want to break it down into the, like a real fine details of this, but my understanding is that, you know, the, the fluids necessary in the body parts that they grow and the organs and everything, as that's happening on one Hydra, it can be passed to another nearby Hydra causing sexual reproduction. Yeah, my understanding is this tends to happen only in cases where they're reproducing, but the um, the conditions are pretty harsh. Right, yeah. yeah. So this brings us to, of course, we go right from sex to talking about crazy, gross, gaping mouths. Okay, so here we are. This is the meat of the episode. <laughs> this is the new, hot-off-the-presses research we have known that these mouths exist, but we haven't understood how they work until just recently. Yeah. We, for a while, we've known that this is essentially what happens. The tentacles grab the prey, the stunned prey, and then the hydra needs to eat this prey. Yeah. But the hydra, in the same way that it doesn't have recognizable eyes, it has no recognizable mouth. Right. It's just a, a clean, featureless sheet it's of tissue that there. basal disc that we've been talking about. Yeah. How's this thing going to eat? Well, yeah. it does that by tearing its body open. Like, it's, its body just opens up into this gaping wound. And when I mean gaping, the videos of this are phenomenal. It's because crazy, yeah. it opens, and it opens, and you think, oh, it can't possibly open anymore, but it keeps getting wider and wider. Then the, the, the hydra's mouth is larger than the hydra's body, and you just, you start screaming internally as you mm-hmm. watch it. Uh, we've got to, we've got to put in the show notes the link to the video that you did about this previously, because it has, uh, video uh, reference from that the study that yeah. we're talking about here, and it shows that. Yeah, and uh, uh, we made a pretty good gift too, so I'll have to throw that out as well. But yeah, it's just crazy to watch. And then it swallows up the still living mm-hmm. but stunned prey. And then what happens? The mouth closes over them. Yeah, like uh, just just closes over the still living host, entombs them within the hydra's body, Whoa. and then heals completely shut again. And then there's there's no sign that there was ever a mouth there. Yeah. And so back to that thing analogy, yeah. it's like that that scene in the thing where they're they're performing like surgery or something. Well, or he, CPR. Yeah, they go to use the the. the oh, it's the paddles. That's mm-hmm. right. They go to use the paddles. On yeah, and it goes to put it on his chest, and the guy's chest just completely opens up and bites off the arms of the doctor. And this is actually what it looks like. Yeah, it's even. I think it's worse, maybe, like on, on the scale of the Hydra's body, because the whole body is just stretching outwards to accommodate for this massive mouth. Yeah, it's it's really unreal to watch. Um, but as we mentioned earlier, we knew that this took place. We knew some of the you know the chemical triggers involved, but we didn't know what actual me- mechanics it entailed. Yeah. Luckily, uh, researchers from the University of California uh, just this month, um, March 2016, uh, they uh, released a study uh, where they actually took Hydra vulgaris and they created transgenic hydras with fluorescent proteins in both the, that endodermal and ectodermal cell layer. So again, as you mentioned earlier, mm. two cell layers. Well, they put um, uh, they put these uh, these fluorescent proteins in both of those. So this essentially created glowing skin layers to illuminate the mechanics going on here. And as it turns out, the cells don't move around as they suspected. Uh, they actually change their shape in order to to birth this wondrous mouth. Even cell nuclei uh, appear to deform in the process. Yeah, and so what they also discovered is that it's all about these things, these these very basic uh, parts of the Hydra body called 
myonemes. Uh, and they're like, they're described as radial contractile processes that are within the ectoderm of the hydra. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, it's, it's oriented as part of their muscular process, right? So this is where it gets nuts. During that same study, they used magnesium chloride as a muscle relaxant to see, you know, how it would affect the hydra and the mouth opening thing. And they were able to confirm that they couldn't open the mouth without uh, the activity of the myonemes. And then they even tried using menthol in one situation. <laughs> the menthol was too strong, and it disintegrated the hydras upon exposure. Oh, wow. See, Hercules should have uh, he just, just had menthol. Some, some menthol he on just, If he had like some Winston-Salem menthol cigarettes, he could have just put them out <laughs> on, on the hydra neck. I'm not being paid by Winston-Salem to say that. Uh, those are just the cigarettes that my mom smoked when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so if you inhibit these myonemes, uh, it keeps the mouth from opening. So if only there was some tiny little crustacean out there that had a magnesium chloride spray yeah. and was able to keep that mouth from killing them. Okay. So when the basal, uh, disc area is closed, it's just one continuous epithelial sheet, mm-hmm. but it has these sealed, what they call septate junctions. Uh, and then it's triggered by the food, uh, but it's also triggered by a couple other things. Indigestible material, so like we were talking about yeah, earlier. It needs to vomit up its yeah. insides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something called osmotic regulation, which I talked about earlier as well, which is when it uses the gastrovascular system to kind of blow out liquid from its body so it can shrink its body down. Mm-hmm. It's a regulation of fluid pressure inside its so body. So basically intake... Out, yeah. Or output. Yeah, exactly. What needs to be done. And the degree of how this opens varies between these different events, but the dynamics are all the same. It basically comes down to what we were just talking about, where the cells uh, change shape. They morph, basically, mm-hmm. uh, to make room for the mouth, the, yeah. the wound mouth. And to put a time stamp on it, this is all, my understanding is this is all taking place in around 60 seconds. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's relatively fast. Yeah, so the key finding here in the research, and it may not sound like a big deal, but it is, is that they're not rearranging their cells as previously thought. Their cell shapes are actually changing on their own and are triggered by this process. Yeah, and to me, anyway. Imagine that. Can you imagine if you could just rearrange, or or not rearrange, you could change the shape of your cells in your body just, you know, at at a... uh, triggered by one particular kind of sensation. Hmm. You know, that it kind of gets into something that uh, Joe and I discussed in the Dune episodes about the uh, the face dancers, uh, oh. the, the shapeshifters of the Dune uh-huh. universe, and some of the theories about how that would actually work. Mm-hmm. And so one of the models we looked at was, uh, was more of like a surgical transhuman model, and the other was mm-hmm. more of a genetically engineered model. And the genetically engineered model, I feel like, is more in keeping with, with what you're talking yeah. about. It's like at a cellular level. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like when you think about like great shapeshifters of <laughs> popular culture. Yeah, you know? I mean, how's it work? You have to look to the organisms that have uh, a tremendous uh, ability to warp their bodies, to disguise their bodies. Mm-hmm. Plastic Man, that's, yeah. a, that's that's how he's got to do it. He probably <laughs> takes a line from uh, from good old Hydra over here. When's Plastic Man getting his movie? Gosh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, Is he DC or Marvel? He's DC now. I believe it was he was created by another company and then DC bought up that company. Okay. I might be wrong, but but yeah, um, DC owns him now. Who knows? 
Who knows mm. when that'll happen? That'll be real zany. I wouldn't be surprised if the success of Deadpool leads to a Plastic Man movie. I could see there being a, like a comedic raunchy Plastic <laughs> Man with there. Jim Carrey or somebody like that. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Scarier than a Hydra. <laughs> okay, so one last thing about the Hydra. I mean, they've got all these cool powers, right? They, yeah. I want to see a Hydra movie. They can sting you. They've got tentacles. They can uh, open their crazy mouths up. Some of them can uh, uh, eat sunlight. Basically, yeah, some right? have bonded in a in a in this crazy symbiotic relationship. They can somersault, mm-hmm. uh, but what else? Oh, yeah, they're also undying. They're yeah. also essentially biologically immortal. Wow, which is a rarity because, I mean, basically, mortality is an economic necessity. Uh, where are you going to invest your resources into survival or reproduction? Uh, if you focus on the former, then don't expect to do much uh, reproduction. Uh, and, and the opposite is, is, uh, is rather true as well. And that's why evolution generally favors those who reproduce early before all the bad stuff can happen mm, to you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's extremely rare to find an organism that where death is not just a part of, of its making. I yeah. mean, death is what <laughs> the body does. Uh, after it, it after it has achieved its other genetic missions, I, I really feel like the Hydra is uh, ripe for some mad scientist to come along and try to figure out how to graft its abilities into a human being so that human being would be immortal. But then, <laughs> unfortunately, the side effect is that they can only open by tearing open their own body. <laughs> See, this would be great for a comic book. Somebody yeah. should do this. Yeah. Well, maybe they have already. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so so the yeah, but the, there is a potential here because studying hydras and studying the the way that they don't age, I mean right. that that allows us to understand a little more how aging works, how mortality works uh, for life as we know it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by you know by just by looking at a creature that doesn't follow the the generally accepted rules. So with the hydra, most of their body cells are stem cells. They're capable of mm-hmm. continuous division and differentiation, uh, t- tying into these uh, regenerative powers that we've been discussing. Yeah. Um, so when when scientists actually get down and they start studying the mortality uh, of the hydra, they boast low mortality rates throughout their lives. Uh, in the lab, get this, it would take... 1,400 years for 95% of a hydra population to die of natural causes. Jeez, now that's a longitudinal study. Yeah. Can you imagine that? You'd have to have like like 15, 16 generations of scientists yeah. to work on that study. Yeah, so they have, and here's the, the, the crazy thing, hydras also have, they have consistent fertility rates their entire lives. Uh, so... They're they're constantly um, reproducing, yeah. But they also boast this low mortality rate, and uh, this is different from say the, like the desert tortoise, which has higher mortality rates early on, right. but then it lowers as they get older uh, because you know they sort of get through that bottleneck and yeah. then you know they're good to go. Now, one important thing here is that uh, we're talking about like lab conditions, and lab right. conditions are key. So the lab conditions are significantly better than the natural world conditions. Sure, hydra, yeah, the especially because they've got to sit there and wait for something to come along that they can eat. Yeah, or yeah. Or who knows what happens when... Uh, you, now, remember, like, what we said where they live, they live in clean water. What happens when you pollute that water to a hydra? Well, they die. Yeah. Uh, I mean, water contamination is one of the key ways they, they end up dying, mm-hmm. but also predators and disease. You put them in an, in an unnatural environment, 
they're still gonna they're still gonna die because yeah. it, you kind of get, end up having to figure out well what is the perfect environment and certainly some of these recent studies have tried to create essentially a heaven for a, uh, a paradise for hydras yeah uh, including some work by um, Pomona College biology researcher professor Daniel Martinez okay uh, he's he's looked at them multiple times he's repeatedly found no evidence of uh, of sentience of aging of of of, of death natural yeah. death in these creatures um, these laboratory coddled hydra as they're sometimes referred he even goes so far as to state that an individual hydra could live forever under the right circumstances. Yeah. So we just haven't been able to completely calibrate the hydra paradise so that the hydra can live forever without dying unnaturally. What if that's all that heaven actually is? We're getting to some real big <laughs> stuff here now. If heaven is just a scientist trying to create an ideal uh, environment for us to live Where nothing forever. can harm you, yeah. nothing can eat you, nothing can contaminate you. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's the thing. The other thing, the flip side of that is I'm wondering, and I'm the vegetarian on the show, I'm wondering if people eat Hydra uh, and what they taste like. Like if you, you'd have to gather a lot of them up. Yeah, I think I would you assume. would need a significant <clears throat> amount of Hydra to get like a Hydra nugget. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what yeah. do things that like that but, like, like could, We need to do like a, um, like a, <laughs> A marine turducken of all the weird monsters <laughs> that we're covering and like, like put an osidax and stuff it full of hydras yeah. and stuff it full of cyclops or something. Uh, now, um, I have to mention that the hydra definitely reminds me of, uh, of a species from Ian M. Banks culture books, uh, the Adarians. Oh, man, I'm, I, I've been meaning to get to this stuff because you and other people have just been recommending Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a forever. rich world, and there's plenty of science in there. I imagine he was probably inspired by the Hydra yeah. in creating uh, uh, the Adarians because uh, the Adarians are a, a tripedal species, and they uh, they hail from an incredibly harsh planet. Uh, they're, they're, often, they're referred to uh, in uh, Consider Phlebas, uh, the first uh, culture book, as, quote, top monster on a planet full of monsters <laughs> and they are biologically immortal mm-hmm. uh, they've in the books they've uh, evolved to the point where they have spacefaring technology and all but the idea here is that like the hydra it it if uh, this this species evolved in a very harsh uh, um, environment where natural death didn't need to be a part of the programming, Mm. you know, because something else was going to kill them inevitably. So naturally they would thrive in another environment as almost like a super, you know, comparatively to the other species. I'm assuming humans are one of the other species in those books. I mean, the other thing is that they're in the Ian and Banks books. They're also very warlike, as you might imagine. Okay. So yeah, if hydras, do they somersault? That would well, be I can't great. remember if they do, but they that there's some weird stuff going on with their three legs and yeah. their three arms. Like they have three legs and they have two arms, and then they have this smaller arm that folds into oh, their chest. Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, but even they don't have wound mouths in their stomach. So, oh yeah, well maybe Banks didn't want to go that far. Yeah, I'm saving that for another one. Maybe it's another creature in one of the uh, culture books that I have not read yet. <laughs> So there you have it, uh, the Hydra, fascinating creature. And before we get into the normal outro stuff, we you you brought up the Osidex. Yeah. And we mentioned in that episode, oh, that would be a great name for a metal band. This is true. And there and is we, a metal band. We heard from named a lot Osidex. of people. Yeah. yeah. So we'll yeah. have to um, see about maybe featuring some of that music on yeah. the next time we do a listener mail. And then another uh, listener 
sent in a YouTube clip of him doing a bone worm song. Oh, I missed that. I've oh, been on vacation. It's okay. pretty great. Yeah. It's, it's like he's just jamming on an acoustic guitar and singing, singing about, all about bone the bone worm. That's and, great. And I, I dug it. I asked him permission to use it on a future listener mail. He yeah. said, go, go for it. Oh, so cool. We will well, then it. I should also address, and this is just, you know, uh, brief because this isn't a listener mail episode, but we had several people write in to correct me because I refer to whale falls as whales floating to the bottom of the ocean. And they wanted to make sure that I knew that it was whales sinking to the bottom of the oh. ocean. Uh, so, well, so I got that a little bit wrong because <laughs> they would float up presumably. I knew what you meant. Yeah. I, I, I thought you did. All right. Well, uh, Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to send us, uh, Interesting metal bands. You want to correct us on our grammar. <laughs> yeah, all everything is, is fair game. You can uh, find us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the mothership. That's where you'll find the podcast, the videos, uh, blog posts, links out to our social media accounts. We are Below the Mind on Twitter and Facebook. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tumblr. Um, and uh, let's see, how else can they get in touch with us? Well, there's always Periscope. We're on there on Fridays. Uh, well, sometimes we do Facebook Live, but we'll let you know on those other channels Robert just mentioned. We're on there on Fridays at noon Eastern Standard time, but the good old-fashioned way is you could write us a nice letter over email, and you can find us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.